You're listening to the Queen of Calm podcast, the podcast for calm girls by a calm girl. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Queen of Calm podcast. I'm your host, Paisley Haddad. So I know in my past episode and on social media, I said that I was going to be releasing episodes bi-weekly, but after seeing the results of my Instagram poll where most of you said that you would like to see episodes be released weekly, I've decided to kind of meet you in the middle and start releasing episodes uh, two episodes and then one week off, two episodes, one week off, and so on, so that there's more content coming within the month, but it doesn't eat up too much of my schedule and kind of balances that work-life balance. So um, stay tuned for more great episodes in season two. And speaking of Instagram, if you're not following us already, follow us at Queen of Calm Podcast on Instagram and at Queen of Calm Pod on Twitter. When there are weeks when there is no episode, I still be- will be releasing the Queen of Calm newsletter, which has industry news, industry insights, pitch angle ideas, um, some cool things I find on Instagram, as well as information about our latest episode. So if you go to the link in our Instagram bio and click on newsletter sign up, you can join the Queen of Calm podcast newsletter mailing list and a newsletter will be in your inbox every Monday where there is no new episode. So kind of moving on, I want to talk about some industry trends that I've been seeing just throughout the past week. Um, I've been chugging along. Uh, recording many more new episodes for season two and I'm so excited for you to meet my guests like I said Um, but also it's been so cool to see the variety in everyone's careers and how they found their path to communications and something I talked about in the last episode I kind of touched on it when I was talking about my work with North Road Communications is that a lot of our work as PR professionals is moving more towards the IMC integrated marketing communications um into that realm. And I feel like when I first started college as a freshman, and this might have been not the case, this is just my experience, but I feel like with my communications department, and when I was a freshman in college, they were just changing over our student-run firm from strictly PR to this IMC, getting more advertising students and marketing students involved, and even journalism students as well. And I think that's definitely been trickling down to the industry as well. I mean, it was such a big deal back then to start integrating this into classes and into the curriculum as well as the student-run agency and kind of moving more towards the IMC factor. And I find that, you know, a lot of my experiences that I learned in college that I'm using, you know, in my job pertain to more than just that traditional media relations. And I think that's something important that brands need to keep in mind of all these different avenues that you can get your brand out to the public and utilizing social media and working with the marketing team and advertising and everything has to be cohesive and go together or else the message isn't going to work. So that's just something I wanted to talk about. And I feel like we're going to be hearing more about this in upcoming episodes as you kind of listen along, because just talking from my guests, I feel like everyone's had such a varied experience and everyone's career is shaped by such unique factors that come from these different facets of communications. And that's why I love, you know, combining them all in the show. And I think I said this in my last episode as well, but Um, you know, communications as I define it is just like how you would in college, you know, the major encompasses journalism, advertising, marketing, social media, all that good stuff. And I feel like sometimes when you get out into the real world in the past, or even, you know, currently, I've seen a little bit of this, you know, it can become kind of removed, because you're so worried about that difference between journalists and PR pros when you're trying to build that connection. And sometimes they can seem world worlds away. Um, but it's so important to be all on the same page and working on the same things because ultimately it will benefit everyone. And speaking of things in the past, um, last season of the Queen of Calm podcast, 
I did a segment called the calm one of the week, and I really enjoyed doing that, talking about all the positive calm ones that I was seeing and having a little fun with it. But, you know, something I wanted to talk about, too, is that it's not always about the win. Um, there are failures sometimes, and it's great to talk about those, too, because it's able you're then you're able to learn from it. So I definitely want to talk about more. Um, you know, failures as well as wins. So I'm changing this the segment to industry insights, which the original segment was modeled after one of my professors in college who used to have us stand in front of the class and share a great PR move that we saw that week in the news. And I just thought that was such a great exercise. And so I still want to mimic that, but just adding in that factor of sometimes things aren't perfect. And that's how we learn as communications professionals. So Going with the theme of our episode today, which is Gen Z and PR, which is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because I am a Gen Z um, generational person in PR, um, and also because my guest and I have talked extensively on this subject in the past and different avenues and different events, so I'm excited to continue this conversation with her, so be sure to stay tuned for the interview. But before we get into that, I want to talk about a few campaigns that I've been seeing that I think are doing a really great job, but also some that are kind of on the edge. So the first one that I want to talk about is the Oscar Mayer baloney mask. And so while I was not a baloney girl um, in elementary school or anything, a lot of people were. And even seeing that packaging of the Oscar Mayer and seeing that baloney kind of look on your face, I feel like it kind of bridges that gap perfectly between, you know, that nostalgia factor, because that's something I'll talk about with my guest as well. Two things that our generation as Gen Z is very nostalgic. We love looking back at old movies like High School Musical as I'm currently looking at my Go Wildcats flag on my desk. <laughs> um, but we also love, you know, old snacks. We used to eat like Dunkaroos and, you know, going back to those comforts that we had in our past. And I think that derives from just how our generation is, but also because of the pandemic, you know, everyone was going back looking at, you know, things that made them feel comfortable and everything and things that they love. So, they did such a great job on that aspect. And also our generation, you know, likes to stand up for things. We like to have causes to champion for. And so that plays into the other campaign that I want to talk about, which is that M&M's campaign. And I say that M&M's campaign because I feel like I've seen it everywhere on my LinkedIn feed, social media, news sites, you know, on TV. I've seen it everywhere. And so just I'm just going to preface this by saying I really don't have a strong opinion on this either way. I feel like it's just a candy. It doesn't matter either way. But from a communication standpoint, kind of looking at it objectively, um, you know, I think they hit the mark perfectly going with that factor of how Gen Z does want to stand up for causes and they want to uh, adhere to societal norms and kind of flip the narrative on how things should go. But I think they kind of missed the mark on the fact that our generation is nostalgic. You know, I feel like a lot of people when we were younger had a favorite M&M and had a t-shirt or had memories of going to M&M World in Times Square. And so I feel like they kind of walk that line between changing up nostalgia and changing up, you know, what happened in the past of a brand that we recognize from our childhood, but also, you know, walking that line of stepping into this new narrative of, you know, what Gen Z's bring to the table. So um, it's very interesting to me because I feel like this campaign kind of was kind of hit or miss from what I've seen from people on social media. So what do you all think? You know, do you think that they succeeded with this campaign? Do you think that it was effective? I'd love to know. So head to our Instagram stories. And so by the time that this episode is out, I will be having a poll on our Instagram story. And so vote on what you think about the M&M's campaign. And I'll share the results in my next episode. And so something finally that I want to talk about. So also in my last episode, I talked a lot about my 2022 goals, um, a lot about, you know, career and life and all of that good stuff. 
But something I didn't mention was that I want to start taking TikTok seriously. And no, I'm not talking about becoming an influencer or anything. But, you know, I just want to start using TikTok more as a brand because talk more on those Gen Z topics. I say all the time that brands should be utilizing TikTok because, you know, it's the place to be and it's so smart, you know, with brand strategy. So I should be using it with my Queen of Calm brand, you know, take my own advice. So I'm definitely going to be doing that in 2022 and an influencer that I I love following. I love all her content. Um, she was kind of giving advice the other day on her one of her TikToks. And she was saying that if you want to get into TikTok and you want to take it more seriously, you have to start talking on camera. You have to start making that connection with audiences. And that ultimately goes back to the theme that I've been talking about all this past season of how Gen Z, if you're trying to reach those audiences or people who are on TikTok, people appreciate the authentic authenticity factor. Um, I feel like I've said that so much like a broken record, but it is true. You know, people want to feel like they're making a personal connection with you, like they're your friend. And I feel like that's the big draw of TikTok that you're kind of brought in behind the scenes, you know, of that whole thing. So she said that. And I thought that was a really great point that she made. So Kate, if you're out there, I'd love to have you on the show as well. I love following you, but um, I just want to share that with you all. So if you head to my TikTok, I will have a new TikTok posted all about LinkedIn tips for recent grads who are just trying to refresh their profile. And on Friday, I'll be posting on our Instagram reels. So stay tuned for that. But Today's guest is so fabulous. Um, she is so knowledgeable on the subject of Gen Z and PR as she reports on it daily. Um, and she brings such great industry insights to the podcast. And it was also great having fun with that nostalgia factor that we were talking about before with my guest. So be sure to stay tuned for the episode. You're not going to want to miss it. My next guest is a reporter at Haymarket Media covering Gen Z, diversity and inclusion, agency and brand purpose, youth trends and e-commerce and more for PR Week and Campaign US. Please welcome Sabrina Sanchez to the podcast. Welcome, Sabrina. I'm so glad to have you on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's come full circle. Yes, usually you're the one doing the interviewing or the moderating behind the mic. Yeah, exactly. I've had you on a couple panels now, I think. So it's fun. Yes, so I'm definitely so glad to have you on and talk about a variety of topics. But why don't we start with how you got started in journalism? Because I always love to start out with all of my guest journeys and how they get started in their careers. Sure. Yeah. So um, kind of an interesting story because I didn't always know I wanted to be in journalism. Um, the truth is, like when I was in high school, I always liked to read um, ever since I was a kid, actually. And I like to write. And so I would write like short stories and, you know, fiction stories, also like nonfiction stories, journal, that kind of stuff. I was always with my head in some kind of book. Um, and so when junior year came around, everyone was like, okay, you're going to have to start thinking about colleges soon. And you're going to have to start thinking about what you want to do. And at that point in my head, I kind of had like English as like my, you know, go-to response. Um, oh yeah, I'm going to study English. And they were like, well, what do you want to do about that? Like, what do you want to do with that? I'm like, okay, see, I didn't think I'd get this far. So, um, I just didn't really have like a straightforward answer for what I really wanted to do. I just knew that I liked to read and write. Um, and my parents are educators and they were kind of like, Hey, look, we want you to maybe try something else. Cause we've done education for a long time. You're kind of familiar with that. Like try something different to make a long story short. My dad was like, what about journalism? Like you like to write and you can write. Um, but you know, it's just a different kind of writing at that point, my knowledge of journalism pretty much extended to like TV news. So I thought of a reporter as like an anchor at a desk. And I was like, oh, I don't know, I'm kind of shy. 
Um, and then, you know, they kind of talked to me a little bit more about like newspapers and stuff. And I was like, who reads those anymore? And then they were like, okay, well, it's digital now. And I'm like, okay, now we're talking. Um, so essentially that's like where the interest came from. And then um, I happened to land an opportunity with PR Week um, in high school when I was 16 through like this job opportunities program for like inner city, New, uh, New York City kids. Um, and I wasn't on like any kind of editorial team or anything like that. Um, I was in a completely different department, but I always had my face in a book and I would take my lunch break, sit in the cafeteria and read something. Um, so PR week editor or editorial director, Steve Barrett, he took interest in that. Um, and he was just kind of like, you know, what are you reading? What do you, what else do you like to do? When we got to, um, I told him I like to write and he assigned me my first story. So really long-winded answer, but essentially, you know, it kind of was one of those things that everyone was making these suggestions. And I was like, I guess. And finally, the opportunity landed on my lap to try it. And when I tried it, I actually really liked it. Wow. Well, that's such a cool journey that you got started out that way. And to have that support of Steve so early on is so uh, cool to, you know, for you to look back on now as you're working at PR Week and Campaign Now. And I also love that you made the emphasis on writing because, you know, that is such an important part to really enjoy writing when you're getting into journalism. And even how you talked about, um, you know, seeing those broadcast journalists on TV. I mean, it's so important for people who are looking to get into journalism to look into those differences. And my last guest that I had on, uh, Shannon Damiano, she's a student at BU and she was talking about how she didn't know that there was like such a thing as photojournalism. And now she's getting into it. There's so many different angles that you can get involved in journalism. That's absolutely true. Um, and that was another thing too. Like I've always liked to take pictures. I've always been very artistic. And so learning about all these different mediums just attracted me more to the field. And, um, you know, I tried it, like I said, in high school, I wrote my first article, I got published in PR week in digital and in print, um, which wasn't something that I expected, but it was super awesome. And I really liked that feeling, you know, I've always been curious, I like the fact that I could learn new things that I could meet new people. Um, and it was a way for me to just sort of dive into the journalism world without necessarily trying to you know, be on TV or take this like huge risk when I have stage fright, you know? Definitely. And yeah, that's so cool that you got your first writing credit in high school. Um, and so building off of that, you know, what was your time in college like and how did that translate into your career today? Another really cool story um, <laughs> because it's interesting. Like, so I went to Pace University for undergrad um, on the Pleasantville campus, which Pleasantville is like in Westchester, New York. Um, and our media communication and visual arts department had recently added the digital journalism major at the school. Um, so that was pretty new. Like when I was trying to find colleges to apply to, that wasn't even on my radar until someone was like, hey, this program is new. If you're interested, apply. Um, so our cohort was really small. Um, but in a way, it kind of made for a really awesome experience because everything that we got was really hands-on, really intimate. We got to really experience like the writing aspect of it. We did um, TV classes. We got to learn about journalism ethics. And so it was really fun to just sort of like go through college with the same people pretty much in all of my classes. And the classes, they grew over time, but you know, for the most part, we're pretty small starting out. Um, and so it was a really like intimate relationship with my classmates. Um, and it's so awesome because, 
you know, I graduated and we're all still in touch with each other. We're seeing like where each other ended up in their careers. Um, and it's really cool. You know, I think one of the things that I benefited from the most in college was having that like one-on-one -on -one connection with my professors, pretty much the same professor from journalism 101 all the way up to my capstone class. Um, and so following someone, you know, having that journey where they can kind of see your growth and help you with your writing was extremely helpful. And I think the entire department as a whole, I also got to take some PR classes and writing for advertising classes as well, which helped me in my field now, right? Because I write about PR and advertising. So having that like insight into this world also helped me as well. And the, the beauty of it is now I still stay in touch with my professors. I stay in touch with my classmates um, and I'm just always in touch to get feedback from them. I love that point you made about, you know, keeping that connection in your classes and with professors, because I had a similar experience of being with that same group of people all throughout my four years. And it was so important to have those people who you could call and call on for group projects or even now, like like you were saying too, checking out where everyone's ended up. You know, there's so many different places that people can connect later on down the road, can help you get a job or even just help you with something that you're working on at your job. So I love how you mentioned that connection factor. Yeah, the networking is super important. I mean, I can't emphasize that enough. Like, um, you know, I've tried to help people try to find jobs. They've helped me try to find jobs when we were first starting out after we graduated. Um, and it's just really interesting to see how all these connections build upon each other. And then obviously, like our alumni network is an enormous help as well. Um, and just the other day, like one of my friends texted me um, that she was in my area. I'm like, where are you? She's like, I just <laughs> got a job at News 12. And I was like, oh my God, you're like up the street. So, you know, it's, it's just really interesting to see where everybody ends up. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, that's one of the best parts of being a, like a post-grad, I think. I think that's something that I, you can't anticipate before you see of everyone being adults and seeing what everyone's doing. Um, but Sabrina, what advice do you have for student journalists now who are really wanting to make who really want to make that break into the industry once they graduate? So definitely learn as much as you can. Um, and you have to have a portfolio. Like I cannot emphasize that enough because your writing is what's going to speak for you. Um, you know, you may have taken classes and you have like the theoretical experience. But what's really going to matter is, do you know how to pitch a story? Do you know how to conduct an interview? Do you know how to write a story? Do you know, um, you know, inverted pyramid format? Um, what about features? How comfortable are you with um, also other multimedia elements? Like, can you handle yourself with video or audio, like podcasts, right? Um, how comfortable are you with moderating a panel? So trying to get as much experience and building a portfolio and all these multimedia elements is going to be key. Um, obviously, if you do end up getting an internship, stay in touch. That's what helped me because after I interned at PR Week in high school, I came back in college <laughs> and I stayed in touch and now I'm here full time. Um, so I have been back three times and it's because I just periodically would check in with Steve, check in with other people at Haymarket. Um, I just always tried to maintain that connection, strengthen my portfolio, build my repertoire. The other piece of advice is try to write in as many different things as possible. And what I mean by that is don't limit yourself to politics, right? I know like we all have our interests um, and that's fine because everyone's going to get assigned a beat once they get a job, but try to, you know, diversify your portfolio. So what I mean by that is 
um, try to do breaking news if you can. And if you're going to write long, long form features, try to do them in different genres, whether it's about um, tech or corporate or finance. Um, try to get your, you, you know, have a hand at reviews for art writing um, or, you know, movie reviews or things like that. Just try to diversify as much as you can um, and try to get experience in all these different areas because that's going to be key to setting you apart as well. It's not just the fact that you can write, it's that you can write about a lot of different things and you're versatile and that you can do it well. Yeah, that portfolio is so important. And I feel like nowadays, I mean, I don't know about in the past, <laughs> but there's definitely so many avenues that you can get involved in getting those those um, bylines and, you know, with your newspaper, even like these student run magazines. I know my college had like a fashion magazine and like a, a campus interest magazine. There's just so many ways to get involved. And that's another great point you brought up of having a diverse portfolio because, um, you know, it's always good to have your finger on the pulse of everything that's going on in college, especially when that in that with that student journalism factor of, you know, what's the science department working on or, you know, what's someone in the advertising department working on. So I love how you brought that up and you kind of segued a little bit into my next question, which I uh, appreciate. Um, so what's your journey like now at PR week and campaign? And what has that been like going from an intern to a full-time employee? Yeah, well, there's definitely a culture shock, right? <laughs> um, for starters, you're not going to get as much time full, full-time to work on a story than you would as an intern. Um, same thing with like your classes, you might get a week to work on a story in class. You're, you're going to get maybe three hours, <laughs> uh, full time. Um, so things move quickly and that's okay. Um, because as time goes on, your skills just get better. Um, you start to brush up on things and you start to learn the best formats or ways to describe something or to write about a certain topic. Um, so that's that. The other thing though, is this experience has definitely been, um, an opportunity for growth for me to expand and learn about an area that I wasn't that familiar with, even though I had interest and I had um, interned at PR week and I was familiar with some PR contacts and communications and how that works. I've now had an opportunity to dive much deeper. Um, there was tons of jargon that I <laughs> didn't understand. And um, this is true. I actually have a document in my folders that has what is and then a word that I would that I learned and I'm I still add to that document um and you know little side note but we're actually going to try to see if we can turn that into a part of our website just for students to learn more oh I love that um but yeah like you know I I had to learn a lot of terminology and I had to like brush up on a lot of things research is going to be your best friend of course, as it is with any story, it's not just enough to like interview people, but also fact check. Um, you know, so it's it's definitely a lot that goes on, a lot of moving parts every single day. But um, it's been a rewarding experience. Like I think when you go in with confidence and you um, are are just capable and you feel like, you know, you can handle something, then you will. That's it's just a simple fact, like, you know, building contacts, it's going to take time, but it'll get better trying to learn the jargon, it'll get better. Um, <laughs> writing quickly, it'll get better. So it's a work in progress, but it's a lot better over time. And, you know, I'm sure that other people might feel the same way too. Yeah, I love that, that idea you have about putting the jargon on the website. I think that's really cool. And I feel like a lot of students would check that out. Um, and yeah, there definitely is a lot of terms in PR for people to be aware of, you know, when they're reading articles and joining the industry like you did. Um, so 
you know, what has it been like reporting on those communications topics? Has there been anything that surprised you that you didn't expect before you started? Yeah, um, I would say that I, it is a trade publication, both campaign and PR week. Um, and I didn't expect people to care so much. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is like the general public. Um, so one thing that was shocking to me is like, I thought, you know, when I was thinking about my audience, when I first started writing, I was like, oh man, I have to sound like I know exactly what I'm talking about. And I need to know all the PR terms and I need to sound like a professional, you know, like I need to talk to these people in a way they understand. But the truth is that comms in general can apply to anyone and just about anything can be a comms issue. Um, down to, you know, a brand commenting under an influencer's TikTok. So like, have you heard of Emily Zuge? No, I haven't. <laughs> okay. So do you, do you know on TikTok, the girl that would like take brands logos and completely change oh, them? Oh, yes. Okay. So that's like a pop culture thing, right? Like that's a TikTok trend. It's like, Someone that we all watch, a bunch of like 18, 19, 20 year olds are watching her on TikTok. And that's a PR thing. Like these are brands, PR teams and social media teams that are chiming into this conversation and they're taking a very real like trendy topic and moment and they're, they're diving into it, right? That's part of a strategy. I never thought of it that way before that. <laughs> um, I always thought like, who? who was going to read about this other than PR people? But the truth is like, this is interesting to people like me and you or to the average person that doesn't know the first thing about PR because they want to see McDonald's logo completely chopped up, <laughs> right? So like that idea kind of dawned on me after a while, um, you know, just about like how these PR firms, how social media teams handle um, certain crises, how they position a brand, how they engage in social media, right? Like, um, I think of like Wendy's Twitter, so funny, <laughs> so yes. funny. And I remember even before I started at PR week full-time, when I was like still in college, I had like a tweet that went viral because they tweeted something hilarious. And I said, give your social media manager a raise. And everyone <laughs> thought I was the social media manager. And I, but it was just like these really funny viral engagements with brands. That's something that like the average public can participate in that conversation. So that was something for me that like I didn't really realize at first that this is not an exclusive conversation. It's not um, topics that like the average person can't, you know, write, write about or talk about or participate in. Anyone can participate when we're talking about comms. Um, and same thing with crises, right? People have opinions about when brands don't handle things a certain way. We saw that a lot with like the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, some brands responded and they missed. They missed, <laughs> they missed the mark a lot. And people had conversations about that. So, um, yeah, that's been something that's super interesting. And the same thing with like campaign and advertising. I mean, like we all know that the Super Bowl is huge for advertising, and that there's a lot of conversation about it, but now covering it and like understanding the behind the scenes and stuff, like now I get why it matters, you know, like there's so much investment in this. Um, and so those are just like some of the examples of things that have surprised me or what it's been like writing about these things. Yeah, that is super interesting. I never really thought of it that way myself, even having that PR background. And 
I love that story you told about having that viral tweet because I feel like that's where all the action is happening nowadays on these social media platforms. And even with our clients at my PR agency that I work for, you know, we're always talking about, you know, how can we get our clients notice on TikTok or Twitter or Instagram? Because I feel like that's becoming more of what the trend's going to be this upcoming year of using more of that, those different, um, you know, places to get your your brand out there rather than that traditional media relations factor and so I'm so glad you brought that up and even last night like I am obsessed with the show cheer on Netflix so season two is currently out so like last night I was on reddit like reading all of the tea about the cast and someone was like hey like did you know that one of your not to me but like to someone on the comment thread hey did you know like your tweet about cheer was on like 17 magazine and I was like and the person was like wow like that's crazy that people care about that so that's funny that you bring that up because I feel like we're seeing more and more of those Facebook comments being like the or Facebook or Instagram or everything being like the main conversation for these brands. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we're also seeing brands start to really develop a voice, you know, like it's less about advertising sometimes and more about like what kind of voice you have as a brand on these social media platforms. Like, you know, I'll tell you my favorite voices on social media when it comes <laughs> to brands is um, definitely Wendy's is one of them, but um, also uh, Sour Patch Kids super fun on Twitter. Um, and so like, it's, it's just really interesting to see brands comment. I've seen tons of brands also comment on like influencers pages and it's hilarious. Like you would not expect that from a brand, you know, like just chiming in and actually saying something funny, but you know, <laughs> it's just, it's fun. It's, and this is what people care about and what they're talking about. Definitely. And, and yeah, now that you bring that up, I do want to talk about the Duolingo bird too, because I feel like every <laughs> video that I see that's like something so random, the bird is under there writing something that everyone is like laughing at or like has so many likes on TikTok. And even, I don't know if you saw this too, but you know, that Grammarly ad where it's like, this sentence is not correct. And like people were using it as like a, a TikTok sound. I thought that was such a great brand strategy for them as well to like share that out there is kind of like a fun thing, but also having their commercial get all around TikTok. Exactly. And, and you know, sometimes that lands better than traditional advertising because um, it's, it's just, you know, this is a, a platform where people are just having conversation and they just they're there for laughs or they're there for relatable content. And so if a brand can be relatable, then they're they're going to be successful. Yes, definitely. So I want to talk a bit more about Gen Z and PR because we're both in Gen Z and you cover PR and I work in PR. And I feel like um, we had such a great conversation through our panel at the PR Decoded conference. And so I definitely wanted to continue that conversation. Um, so what changes do you see on the horizon in the industry in terms of Gen Z joining the workforce in PR? I know we kind of touched on it a bit just now about talking about those brand messages, but what do you see about the industry in general when Gen Z workers are joining the workforce? Well, for starters, I think it's so nice to see like fresh content. Um, and I've seen like some of the funniest posts and like TikToks about people making fun <laughs> of Gen Z in the workforce, like, cause no one understands what we say or like the things that we laugh at and like <laughs> the, the dank memes and all these like new expressions, you know? Um, but it's just funny because like, it's relatable and like, you're going to see more of that. Um, like I said, going back to the whole brand voice thing, I think Gen Z has a very strong voice on social because that's where we are. That's where we spend. Like after this, I'm going to be on TikTok all night. Yes. <laughs> so 
like we have such a strong voice on these platforms so gen z entering pr can bring so many fresh ideas to companies and it's not just with regard to like um social media marketing or things like that but also just like pr like earned media um reaching out to reporters in creative ways as well as how to handle crises right i think one thing that gen z is definitely changing with regard to pr and um communications and you know brand positioning and things like that is we use the word authenticity a lot but i think gen z takes that very seriously and so you get a gen z um, employee on your team and you're dealing with a company crisis, they're not just going to be like, no comment. They're probably going to say, Hey, maybe you should respond to that. And maybe you should be honest. Um, so that's something that I definitely can see happening. Um, obviously, you know, there is still a hierarchy and there's definitely processes that people have to go through. And so whether or not we'll start to see those changes immediately, I'm not sure, but I do think that those changes are on the horizon. The other thing is Gen Z and PR is definitely changing the workforce culture. You know, all this stuff about like, oh yeah, we're working into Saturday or into Sunday (laughs) because there's like something going on. Gen Z is going to be like, okay, well, sorry, but we'll pick this up on Monday. (laughs) Um, Like, I think Gen Z is very strict about their working hours and their boundaries. Um, Definitely we're seeing that with like pushing out the office, you know, um, a a move to remote work. It's like, that could have been an email. I don't need to be in person for this. Like we're definitely seeing that pushback from Gen Z. And while some companies might think that that's a bad thing, I would challenge you to open your minds a little more. Think about what it really means. Gen Z just wants to gather for the truly important connections. Call me in when we're going to have some team bonding. Call me in when we're going to do like a complete rehaul of this client and we're going to reevaluate everything about this client. Call me in when it's something that relates to purpose and diversity and these really important issues that I would love to be a part of. But, you know, I think that there's definitely going to be more intentional action from Gen Z and very selective action from Gen Z when it comes to PR, both how they handle issues and also how they handle their own boundaries and how they work as well. Um, I think in general, like our generation is just more so like, okay, well, I hear you, but I'm going to do it this way. Um, (laughs) So just expect more of that. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said. And I think some of this stems too, like even for like our age group, that's kind of in this young professional um, space of, you know, because of that pandemic, well, we're still in the pandemic, but because of the pandemic happening and us losing that sense of connection with the people around us, we're really using that social media to look for that connection. I mean, I watch so many people on TikTok, like literally doing nonsense, but just the fact of like getting to know them and like seeing them go to the grocery store and what they bought or like, you know, going to the amusement park or something like that. Just seeing those little moments throughout the day that really, you know, bridge a connection between the TikTok influencer and, you know, the user, I think is so important to our generation as well. And I think that plays into our, like you were saying, being intentional in our actions and really going after things that we really believe in. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think our generation is not afraid of being vulnerable and, (laughs) um, you know, we're going to, we're going to see that and that's going to reflect in the work, right? Because that's what Gen Z expects. Like 
if I, as a, as a Gen Zer or as a journalist or as a PR professional, am being vulnerable to you, I want you, the client, to be vulnerable with me and the rest of Gen Z and the rest of the customers and all the other people that are really trying to support you, right? Um, so I think it's it, there's going to be like this new transactional age of you be real with me, I'm going to be real with you. Um, and so I think everyone needs to get comfortable with that idea because that's just the world that we're headed in. In general, I think um, Gen Z copes with humor. That's the first thing. Um, but we also just don't beat around the bush anymore. Like, let's talk about it, uh, regardless of what it may be. Um, so I, I definitely see that happening more moving forward. Yes. And I know we talked about this a bit before, like that brand voice and what these brands are doing on social media, but kind of on that flip side, you know, what trends do you see that brands are using to really connect with those Gen Z audiences? Yeah. So one of the things that I've been um, following a lot, actually, especially in the last couple of days is gaming Um, and not just gaming, like here's a banner ad in Fortnite. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's like brands getting into the game. And that's probably one of the cooler trends that I've seen so far. I know there are still brands that are like, yeah, let's just, you know, sponsor this and create a banner ad. And like, that's, that's fine. You know, you, you try and the really cool stuff that I've seen is like, um, for instance, Wendy's did this campaign. I talk about Wendy's a lot because it's just really cool. (laughs) And that's my dog. Um, But Wendy's did this campaign where like, they created a Twitch channel, like an official Wendy's Twitch channel. So Wendy's is a streamer and they stream themselves playing different games and creating like Wendy's skins for each of the games. So like imagine a Wendy's skin with like the red hair and the pigtails and everything and the outfit in like Animal Crossing or (laughs) in Fortnite or, um, like or like super mario bros you know what i mean like so they did that and then they also created like actual wendy's worlds in these places so then they went on roblox and they created like a wendy's world and then they went on minecraft and they build like a wendy's drive through like you know so that's really cool so i'm seeing a lot of brands engage more in gaming and obviously like sponsoring streamers and doing like cool gaming events and tournaments and stuff with like professional athletes right esports is huge right now um but also like professional athletes and and influencers and stuff and that's also really cool um but but yeah definitely like integrations into games that's like genius like I love that right now um the other thing that I'm seeing a lot of brands do is what we were talking about a little earlier with like these authentic brand voices and chiming into these like social media conversations in a very um, like cheeky, fun way. Like, you know, cause you don't want advertising to sound robotic. Like I shouldn't know that you're advertising. You know what I mean? I should just like you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm definitely seeing a lot more of that. And I, and I used the example earlier of like Emily Zuge who was, um, you know, changing all these brand logos. That was super fun. Cause you know, she even did like TikTok's logo And TikTok actually made it their icon, like their photo avatar for like a few days, I think. So that's awesome. Like these brands, you know, are genuinely listening to Gen Z and engaging with them in those ways. So that's something that I'm also seeing that's really cool. Um, And then, of course, I think one of the cooler things, too, that brands have done is also 
include Gen Z in the conversation. And what I mean by that is like taking an idea from Gen Z and actually making it a reality. So whether that be like, um, you know, I'll use an example like McDonald's Travis Scott meal. They knew that like there was a lot of fans of Travis Scott. They they created a celebrity meal um, and that was huge. And then also like other brands taking, you know, interest that Gen Z have and making it a thing. Like years ago, Crocs did that with like the gibbets. That was like a Gen Z idea. Like Gen Z was like, hey, let's put charms on this. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, cool. That's awesome. Like that's the kind of stuff that really gets people engaged with a brand. And now, I mean, let's be honest, Gen Z, I'm wearing my Crocs right now. Like Gen Z <laughs> wears Crocs. So, I mean, this is how you get popular with this group. And those are some of the cooler trends that I've seen. Yeah, I love what you just mentioned. I didn't know that about Wendy's and the Twitch and all that. That's really clever of them to integrate that. And yeah, going off of what you were saying about the Crocs and everything, um, something I've been seeing too is that like there's such a change in like who they choose to partner with as well. Like they really want people to be fans of the brand because I was saying too, I, I think it was, I had like a birthday bash on my Instagram um, and I was talking to one of my guests about like when they send out these PR packages, like back when influencers first started, I hate to use that term, but I'm not, not sure what else to use. Um, when they first started, I feel like it was kind of like a mad dash to kind of send out to these bloggers and people on YouTube to kind of get any mention that they could on, you know, their YouTube videos. But now it should be more intentional of who you're sending it to, because I've seen so many instances where a brand will send like a PR package or, you know, we'll send a preview of something to someone and they're just so uninterested in the product or, you know, the person they're promoting. And that just translates to our audiences as Gen Z. And I think across the board as well that, you know, your brand really has to connect with who you're sending it to. Absolutely. Like you want people to love your brand um, and you want to partner with someone that loves your brands. And I think that's something that we're also going to start to see um, kind of diverting a little bit, but we're also going to start to see that in like the PR agencies that brands start to select. Um, you know, if you are an agency or your client is a gaming company, you better know how to play the game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you're going to represent Roblox, I hope you know how to play Roblox. Or like, you know, if you're going to play Minecraft or if you're going to represent Minecraft, then you need to play Minecraft. So, um, yeah, we're definitely going to see that more. Um, and I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that those auditing processes are being done and like those decisions are being made to authentically engage with these groups because, you know, it doesn't make any sense to advertise um, a certain product to like me, Sabrina Sanchez, if it has nothing to do with my interests. Like that's not going to get me to want your product. I'm going to be curious enough to maybe Google it, but probably not check out, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with you. I'm um, talking more about that brand voice and you know, what these different brands are doing. I know you mentioned Wendy's, but we talked a lot during our panel and just now about that authenticity. Um, so, you know, what do you see out there in terms of authenticity that brands are doing or brands that are really having these big campaigns that are connecting on that more personal level with their publics? I think one of the things that sets those brands apart is, um, and I'm going to use diversity as an example or like purposeful campaigns as an example, because I think that's where you can really start to see the difference. So it used to be like a thing where, you know, if there was some kind of like diversity, civil rights holiday 
or if there was some kind of like purposeful initiative, um, brands would like, you know, be a part of that conversation. Yeah, we support this. And then they'll maybe like donate some money. Um, but I think we're starting to see more differences in terms of even like their products and their offerings, right? So um, I want to say it's P&G created, um, for instance, like that deodorant for people with disabilities. That's incredible, you know, because you can't just say I support people that have disabilities and not create your products to make them accessible to people with disabilities. And so we're starting to see like more of that. Um, And I think that's an authentic brand voice because you're not just saying to me, I support you. I'm going to donate money to your cause. You're also making my life easier with your products. So that's an authentic brand voice. Um, And, you know, I think the same thing with like, when it comes to like civil rights or um, diversity issues, we're definitely starting to see more like putting your money where your mouth is. Um, Like not just talking about something, not just raising awareness or a campaign about it, but also like, you know, investing in Black and Hispanic owned businesses or Black and Hispanic media companies. Um, You know, we're also starting to see more of like using their platform to educate and talk about some of these controversial issues that were considered explosive before, you know what I mean? So um, I think as that continues to happen, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. For instance, behind the scenes, like, you know, representation behind the scenes and having those people on your teams and that kind of stuff. And I think um, the industry is definitely working towards that. But on a brand consumer facing front, um, I definitely feel like I've seen significant changes from like 2019 to now. Yeah, I, I loved everything you just um, put forward there. And, um, you know, talk more about that and kind of authenticity. You know, these brands are going to start having that innovation of getting on these new social media platforms, doing these new initiatives. Like you said, they should be aligning that brand messaging together. And I feel like that is something we're going to see in this upcoming year. And, you know, I did, I, I wasn't really following that PNG campaign as much, but that is such a great way and an example to talk about that with brands. And I know some brands in the past, like Dove, have kind of done that with their body positivity commercials and all of that. And they've really done the work on that. But um, yeah, I definitely think we're going to be seeing that more in this upcoming year. And I remember what I was trying to say before, too. I do want to shout out um, the Jones Works agency because I follow them on Instagram and I feel like they do a lot of campaigns now in the same vein where they kind of keep in that voice of working with these celebrities but in a unique way um i just saw yesterday they got like a press hit for tom brady's new like clothing brand brady brand and they went back in the simpsons episode and they found where one of the simpsons was wearing like a similar hoodie that said brady and they were depicting tom brady back in the day and they brought it back and that's just such a clever way of you know bringing it all full circle and having that unique you know, way to keep your clients, you know, out there and relevant and keeping everything consistent. Absolutely. That's a great example. I mean, the Simpsons predicts everything. So (laughs) just, just check the Simpsons if there's news. Um, But yeah, no, that's a great example. You know, I think, and, and going back to a previous question that you said about like other trends for reaching Gen Z, nostalgia. I totally forgot to mention that, but nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia. Like I am 22 years old and I fully watch high school musical yes me too all the time you know what I mean like it it's <laughs> it's I'm an adult but I watch cartoons like so that's something that also brands need to keep in mind 
that um, Gen Z is not ashamed about talking about our childhoods or like having those touch points where we think back to a memory or like are nostalgic about something. Um, I think that, you know, in general, there's like this consensus that after a certain age, like you're expected to just like mature and like grow out of those things. I don't think Gen Z grows out of those things. Like <laughs> just the other day, I made a TikTok about, I was thinking about um, all the cell phones that I wanted, but never had a chance to get because smartphones became a thing. <laughs> so, you know, like the Motorola Razor and like the Sidekick and like those kinds of phones. And I got tons of engagement on that post. I think I got, I don't even know how many views, but I got like almost a thousand likes. So I think that um, relating to Gen Z in, in that format is also really important too. Like nostalgia is always going to be a great touch point. Um, and, and, you know, just having those like moments where you trigger a memory or like a thought or like a, a recollection of like a, a, you know, a moment that they shared with someone that they loved that's going to be great. Like, you know, and I'm kind of digressing a little bit, but I, I like to talk a lot about um, Vicks VapoRub <laughs> because I'm Dominican, right? And everyone in the Dominican community knows like our grandparents have probably tubs of VapoRubs from like the <laughs> 1980s. Like that can never be missing from the house. People carry it in their purses just because <laughs> like it's going to be the resolution to any ailment. It doesn't matter what it is. And it reminds us more, most of all of grandma. So what a great way to connect with a group of people, a bunch of Latinos, Hispanics, um, young people by reminding them of grandma. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's so many great touch points uh, for reaching this generation, for reaching people of color. I just think in general, like um, as brands start to lean more into those kinds of activations, we're going to definitely see like an entire shift in the way that people respond to brands. Yeah, you should send that campaign idea in. I think they should take that up, Vix. <laughs> well, they're going to have to, you know, cue me in on that one. <laughs> yeah, I I totally agree on the nostalgia factor. I mean, I too find myself watching High School Musical so many times, Camp Rock, and even, I'm not ashamed to admit it, I watched the High School Musical series, especially to see the drama with <laughs> Olivia Rodrigo and all that, but also to see that nostalgia. I mean, even the first season, I know some people are like, you know, why would you want to watch that? Like, it's not as good as the original, but I feel like just to be able to see like East High back on TV and see like some of the old cast come back, like I know Corbin Blue's coming back from the third season. So that, so exciting. I'm so excited. So <laughs> just seeing that like just gets me so excited and you know, something yeah. I look forward to watching after I spend my nine to five at work. <laughs> but yeah, all those things like seeing early 2000s and like my favorite shows, One Tree Hill, like watching that, that whole genre. I love watching it. I love One Tree Hill. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Well, now I have to ask you, Sabrina, Lucas or Nathan? Oh my God. You can't <laughs> ask me that. That's, that's <laughs> such a hard question. I, okay. Well, I don't want to ruin it, but let's just say I liked one then I switched to the other. Ooh, yeah, similar. Okay. I, I am kind of like 50-50, but more like 51% Nathan and 49% <laughs> Lucas because I love Chad Michael Murray, but Nathan, in my opinion, was better. But, you know, that's a debate for another day. But <laughs> <laughs> okay. definitely, definitely all those shows and everything. I love following all that. And even I had someone on the show, Miss 2005, and 
I know my podcast is all about communications and PR and all that, but sometimes it's just good to, to have a chat about like things you enjoy and like nostalgia and all that. So definitely I, going back to your point, I think that nostalgia factor for brands is really going to set them apart. Like ColourPop's collaboration with like Disney on the Lizzie McGuire palette. I was like, take my money right now. Like I need the whole collection. Like I need the Gordo lip gloss. Like let's go. Exactly. That's (laughs) such a great one. Oh my gosh. I think the minute that ColourPop started dropping Disney anything, I was like, take my money. Yes. Um, The baby Yoda palette. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like these are such great opportunities. Um, And I think again, like just triggering some kind of memory or some kind of thought of something that like someone really connects with, that's going to be so key for this generation, like in general. And I think even like, you know, when we talk about gaming too, um, right now we're talking a lot about the metaverse and all these like future games and whatever, like stuff that doesn't even exist yet, (laughs) but has anyone, and I'm giving out ideas for free right now, has (laughs) anyone thought to maybe bring back like the old games and make like an activation on that? Like what happened to GameCube? Like, that's what I want to know. Um, so maybe bringing back some of those old games and like, you know, throwing your brand in there, like that's going to be really cool too. Like, you know, Sims, what happened to Sims? Yeah, I love the idea. Like all those um, games you used to play on the computer, like Barbie and My Scene and all those. Yeah, let's let's bring those back in the metaverse and we'll have those goggles on, which that's another thing on TikTok. I see like so many people getting hurt with those goggles on and the two like oculus things like that should definitely be a trend of like going into the metaverse and like hurting yourself in the real world but (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah but sabrina i have one final question for you and it's something to add that i asked all my guests i'm not sure if you're familiar with sophia maruso Mm -hmm. she is an entrepreneur and she is the uh author of the book girl boss that talks all about like her career journey and starting nasty gal and all that and she has a netflix series so kind of an inspiration to her i love to ask this question to all my guests um so who is your favorite girl boss or just a woman who inspires you or it can be more than one we've had more than one in the past oh my gosh i don't even have (laughs) to think about this one rihanna (laughs) oh love it rihanna riri girl she's getting her bag oh my goodness (laughs) She's such a girl, but okay, now I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, but I'm just going to say this Rihanna. Uh, she, I mean, if you, if you look at her story, she started like basically selling clothes and stuff like that on the streets in Barbados. Um, she was always into like fashion and beauty and like, she always tried to make, you know, money in whatever ways that she could and try to support her family before she became famous. She became famous right? She made a huge fortune off of um, music. And then she decided to pivot and completely change careers after like years of making music. Like one day she was just like, I'm done. I'm just going to (laughs) try something else. Like that to me is a girl boss, not because of how much money she makes, although her network is incredible, but because she had the courage to be like, hey, I know people expect me to make music because it's what I'm good at. But I don't think so. I want to do something else. And she like did it. And she just didn't just do it. She's successful at it. And she has defied all the odds. She completely trailblazed the beauty industry with creating more um, diverse colors for foundation and like affordable products and makeup, which we all know can be extremely expensive, right? Um, and all these different shades and tones. Then she was like, hey, I'm going to switch up again. 
and I'm going to go into lingerie now. And like, I'm mind blown by Rihanna. Like she is amazing. Um, definitely a girl boss. I'm sure that there's others that will come to mind after we have this conversation, but top of my head, definitely Riri. I aspire to be like her one day. So yeah. Yeah. Rihanna is fabulous. She is so fabulous. And I love how you mentioned that she made all those pivots because um, there is a, this is going to make me sound like an obsessed, like fan of Sofia Maruso, but <laughs> in her book, um, there's like a, a title of a chapter where it's like girl bosses know when to throw punches and when to roll with them. And that definitely describes Rihanna. Um, I love all of her Fenty beauty stuff. Like the lip gloss lasts forever. It's like a perfect product. And I just love how she, when someone's like release music and she's like, no, like I'm going to do it on my own time whenever I want. So I love that. So thanks for sharing Rihanna. I love that. And thank you so much for being on the show. It was so great to reconnect with you and to talk more on the Gen Z and PR subject. Um, I feel like we had a lot of great points to share. So just thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Thanks for listening. Did you enjoy this episode? Head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Want to drop us a line? Click the link in our Instagram bio to leave us a voicemail. And who knows, it might even end up on the show. See you next week for more tips and tricks of the trade.